HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by VisitNapaValley.com, the official page for travel to the Napa Valley, America's legendary wine, food, arts, and wellness capital. For more information, visit www.VisitNapaValley.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. In the Drink airs live at 10, uh, 10 a.m. on Wednesday mornings, and we're coming to you from Bushwick, Brooklyn at Roberta's Restaurant. Um, you can also listen to In the Drink on iTunes or on HeritageRadioNetwork.org, where we have all of our past episodes uh, that you can, uh, you can stream. Um, I'm your host, Joe Campanelli, and when I'm not hosting In the Drink, you can find me at one of our restaurants where I act as beverage director. Uh, our restaurants are Delanima, Lartuzzi, La Picho, and Amphora. Um, today I'm really excited to have someone in the industry who I just really like personally quite a bit. Uh, I consider, uh, I consider her a friend and someone I also look up to. Uh, we have Michelle Bichelia from Blue Hill on the show. Welcome to In the Drink, Michelle. Thanks. Thanks so much. It's great to have you. Um, uh, this past week, uh, and you can probably hear my, my voice is a little bit raspy, uh, and I can blame La Palais on that. Uh, that's something that you also took part of. It is a burgundy celebration that uh, seems to last all week long. Um, what do you think were some of the, uh, you also participated in, what were some of the standout wines of the event for you? or so, Were there some wines that, that really stood out? Yeah, I mean, of course, it's full of the most amazing wines in the world for, for a full week. Um, I mean, I think at the, the, the tastings, there's the, the verticals tasting, uh, the grand tasting, the gala dinner, all full of great wines. For me, my favorite is always the verticals tasting. Um, and I think stand-up producers um, are always like, you know, Rousseau every year and those kind of things. But this year, there was other people that were there like Shangulo. I don't know if you tasted those wines from from St. Veron and Macon and, and Southern. I was actually paired with Shangulo for the, um, for the grand tasting. And so uh, I had never heard of them before. Uh, awesome. Awesome. Pretty wines. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, those were great. The PO wines who are right next to you at the grand tasting, I think were awesome. I, you know, I totally lucked out because I was with PO for the verticals tasting and I posted a picture on Instagram. I think that guy looks like the French Bon Jovi. Uh, <laughs> I remember you saying my that. My girlfriend yeah. Alyssa does not agree with me, but <laughs> I kind of agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> but what, I mean, what a great guy and what those wines were, were killer. And those, for me, if someone would have asked me what are the two wines that stood out, I would have said the same thing, the yeah. same, <laughs> the same two uh, producers. Yeah. Uh, we also both participated in the off grid tasting, yeah, which was great, which is amazing, huh? Yeah. Uh, which was most to, it was meant to highlight some of the hidden gems of Burgundy. Um, do you have any Burgundian hidden gems on your list at at Blue Hill? Yeah, totally. I mean, well, we have the the Chenulo wines. We have um, well, a couple of the, of the Chablis that that I poured. So I I did the Chablis um, table. I curated the list like you did for what did you do? The Cote Chalonnais. Cote Chalonnais. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, I had definitely picked some of the wines right away that I'd already had on the list. Um, one being the Moreau Naudet Chablis. Um, they make a Chablis AOC, but they also make this other Chablis that's a, an old vine cuvee. I think it's called Parguet. And we poured that at the tasting, and it is a standout, delicious, amazing, classic style of Chablis that is not expensive at all, and it's wonderful and beautiful. And that's definitely one of my favorites that we had. Um, we also did um, some wines from Saint-Brie for the Chablis section, and... One was um, the Clotilde de Ven, and they make a, a Cremant de Bourgogne that's actually from Chablis, and that's also like a standout, and it's probably like less than $20 retail. It's great. Yes, I love that one, and you can periodically find that at Amphora. Um, we'll, we'll pour that wine by the glass, because I agree, it's so delicious. Yeah. And speaking of Burgundy, you've um, done several harvests in Burgundy earlier on in your career. Yeah. Um, tell us about that. I have never done a harvest in Burgundy. It was kind of in the beginning before I even really knew I was going to to be involved in wine forever, I think. Um, so I tasted a Burgundy here in New York. I'd never tasted a wine like that before and then decided I'm going to go to where it's from to learn about it and figure it out. Um, Get out of here. That's really how that happened? Yeah, that's really how it happened. Wow. Yeah. I was working at, I was a waiter at Pastis. Yeah. And they would do these like incredible staff reserve tastings and open up really old like Leois and like also like Chave and all these crazy wines. I don't know how they used to do it. Um for the entire staff of Pastis and Balthazar. Oh yeah, it was insane. Anyway, I jumped in headfirst, um, decided I want to go to Burgundy, emailed anyone I'd ever met working with wine or wine relations and got back one million no's um and one yes. And it was from this producer in Burgundy who's an American guy named Blair Pethel. And he's the owner of Domaine du Blair in Savigny-le-Bains. Um, and he said, yeah, come on down. I need some people to help me out. So I went in 2009. Um, I went early and stayed later. So I was there for like three and a half to four months, really, just helping him out, working, doing cellar work after harvest. Um, and as you know, in Burgundy, it's it's great because it's not just one wine. You know, we made 14 different wines, all like, you know, just a couple barrels each. Yeah. So I got to really see the whole of Burgundy while I was there, and it was great. Right. I'm sure that now, as the wine director of Blue Hill, you email these guys, and they're like, yes, what can I do for you? Absolutely. Um, but did you get a feeling as to why the, the nose came? I know I speak with Italian producers often, 
And they actually, the government has made it very challenging yeah. for them to accept even free labor um, because of uh, a taxation. One, uh, uh, one winemaker in Piedmont was telling me that, in fact, during harvest, the government flies helicopters mm-hmm. over his vineyards, over all the vineyards, to count the number of vineyard employees to make sure that, they're, that they are uh, representing accurately how many people are working for them. I'm pretty sure it has to do with the the legal aspect of it. Um, if they do get, you know, some sort of run up from the government and they get caught people there without papers, I think they can get in some big trouble. Um, I'm really not sure why. What would you do? Would you recommend someone who's like looking at your story and going to work from server to, you know, wine director, one of the best restaurants in, in New York. <laughs> and uh, they say, I would love to do a harvest in Burgundy. How, what would you recommend to someone who's interested in that? I think just asking around, um, I think maybe trying to find something through a university, like in Bergen, you can maybe possibly go through like the CFPPA, the, the, that's what it's called, the, the school there, um, and see if they have some sort of internship slash externship program where you don't really have to be a student type of thing. I think there's those type of programs. Um, other than that, just asking everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, some people will just say, yeah, come help me out for a few days. Yeah, and there's no, yeah, no harm in that. Yeah. So what did you learn during your time in Harvest specifically that was maybe more uh, was applicable to you in your job as uh sommelier and you know you're at, also at Blue Hill, I um, mean at uh, uh Blue Sud and Marbalud mm-hmm. um and now as your your job at Blue Hill. Well, I think when you're in Burgundy, you're there, you're in the middle of of the landscape, so you see everything, everything kind of come together comes together. Um you can read it in books a million times, but until you're there and you see it, you can really understand the geography, the history, why Grand Cru is Grand Cru, you know, why Premier Cru and Village are a little bit, you know, lesser thought of. Um, but also the winemaking. You know, when people talk about pigeage and batonnage and all these things, you're like, okay, you can kind of picture it in your head. But when you see it, when you actually do it and you can see what it does and watch the color get darker when you're doing certain things of certain wines, it just makes so much more sense. It makes it easier to explain it to people which I think is, is the best part. Yeah, and I find for me, it, it helps me when I'm talking to producers to understand what are some of the things that they have to go through and then even to ask other questions that I really want to know, but I have more of a, a context behind it, mm-hmm. um, just having seen it before. Yeah, totally. It's really helpful. So at Blue Hill, um, Chef Dan Barber's vision is to have a restaurant that focuses on sustainability. How does that translate into your wine list? Yeah, well, I think it's it's definitely sustainability, but it's number one flavor uh, for Dan, and he'll be the first to tell you that it has to taste really delicious. Um, and I bring that philosophy to the wine list as well. You know, obviously, as a wine bar, you taste a lot of wine all the time, um, and there's a lot of wines with with great stories. And there's nothing better than tasting a wine that's delicious and then has this great story to back it up. Um, but that's usually what I look for first. Yeah. So my girlfriend, Alyssa, and I both just finished Dan's new book, The Third Plate. Mm-hmm. Um, and through the book, Dan speaks of several important moments um, in his career. It seems pretty recently where he's had these big, really big aha moments and has, has even with the idea of, of deliciousness and sustainability, has has evolved on on certain things like flour, for instance, I think was, it was a really big one for him. Have you seen that? 
going on in the restaurant as well? Has there been a, a change that's distinct or did that kind of all that stuff happen before the, the book was complete? It kind of all happened at the same time. Um, so I've been at Blue Hill now for, for two years and last May, April, May, um, we changed the menu format to either prefix menu or tasting menu only. And what that did was take away that entree that's, you know, one really large piece of meat with a little bit of kind of garnish with it and turn the idea around into, you know, Dan's idea of, of the third plate, which is, you know, more vegetable focus. Cuts that are definitely not these prime cuts. You can utilize the whole animal when you buy the whole animal, that kind of thing. Um, so with that, you know, we're doing a lot more wine pairings and things like that. So the entire restaurant changed really, really last year. And one of the aha moments for me as a reader of the book was when Dan was talking about, uh, and I don't know if you've, uh, I'm sure you've read it. I read uh, it like five times. Like five times yeah. at least. And have bought 20 <laughs> copies for all your friends and family. Uh, it was, uh, Dan was talking about, you know, it doesn't, it kind of doesn't matter if you are working with a local farm who, um, treats their animals humanely and doesn't use any chemicals. If you're only using part of the farm, if right. you're only using the, 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 you know, the lamb chop, you know, or right. the, 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 the prettiest tomatoes, it's still not as sustainable as you can be. It has to be more of a full entire ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And I imagine that's translated to the, to the menu. Yeah, completely. I mean, there's, there's one dish in specific that, that he has on the menu sometimes and he calls it the, the rotation risotto. And it's with this guy, Klaus Martins, um, who, you know, grows all these different grains, you know, throughout the year, throughout the season, a lot of them, not very prized grains like emmer and things like that. And we utilize all of that so we can really support him as a whole, as opposed to just buying like, you know, his, his farrow or something like that. Yeah. yeah, which is cool. That's really cool. That that was also written about. I was yeah, I'm I a big fan of the book. I I really love it. I I really want to taste this uh, yeah. this risotto. Um, it was also recently announced uh, that Blue Hill is going to be reinventing itself from March 13th through the 31st. Tell <laughs> yeah. me if those those dates are accurate. Yeah, that's accurate. As a pop up called Wasted. Yeah, uh, next week. That's next week. Is that ne March 13th? Next is Friday. Oh my god! I can't wait for spring. Um, it plays off one of the themes that Dan brings up about utilizing all parts of the animal and the food system. Um, so tell us more about, uh, about wasted and wh what's going on. So yeah, it's, it's going to be an entirely different restaurant from, I mean, everything, the decor, the, the staff uniforms, the menu, the menu format, the wine list, the beverage list. Um, everything is going to be completely different. It's going to be very, it's not Blue Hill. It's Wasted now. It's the name of the restaurant. And it's essentially a restaurant that revolves around things in the food system that are normally wasted to maybe bring attention to these things that maybe shouldn't normally be wasted. Um, so that's really the, the whole idea of it. And there's going to be guest chefs every night, um, lots of big names, which is great. And, you know, we have our wasted menu that we're going to have. And then each chef comes in. Um, and prepares one dish for the day that they're there as like a special for the day. Wow. And how, how does this translate into the, the beverage program? Well, it's was difficult for me at first. I thought, okay, wasted wine. What do you have wasted wine? You have like leftover wine, but leftover wine generally is leftover and then it goes bad right away. Yeah. It's not something that can be saved. Um, so we are going to have some, some cocktails based off of that. Um, so we've reached out to, to different people. Um, 
distributors and things like that who have these big tastings coming up who have a ton of leftover wine that just gets tossed. So I'm going to be using some of that um, to make different cocktails out of it. And then for the the wine list, we're just going to do... um, So it's going to be wine that's left over from the distributor tasting that happens that day. Yep. So like the dregs of the wine will come into... That is so cool. But it's not even dregs. Like you've been to those tastings, you'll see at the end, like it's nearly full bottles sometimes. So yeah, we're just... I'm going to (laughs) go to the end of the tasting, collect it all, bring it back, figure out what I'm going to do with it each day, and then then go. And then... um, we're also going to utilize, you know, champagne that's not quite as bubbly as it should be that usually gets tossed or that, you know, I don't know if like you, but Blue Hill, the staff always drinks and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and then for, for wines by the glass, um, we're just going to do wines from, you know, waste conscious wineries. So wineries that are aware of, of their impact on, on putting waste out there. Um, one big one is Shin who is like extremely waste conscious shin in, in the North Fork of Long mm-hmm. Island. Um, you know, they're, they're solar and wind powered and, you know, all of their like pumice left over from wine goes into compost to be used as fertilizer for the next year. So highlighting stories like that and pouring it all from large format. Yeah. Shin is, is also, I think one of the best places to stay for a, a trip, uh, to the North Fork. They used to run home restaurant here in uh, right. very close by to Blue Hill yeah. actually. And uh, boy, do they put together! It's like a bed and breakfast, but they 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 like will grow the you know they'll raise the chickens for the egg and make the jam themselves from their garden, and it's like the most killer breakfast and just a great place to stay out there. I've never been. I gotta go. You gotta go. I know. And they're they're <laughs> the nicest couple, and I'm in love with their dog. The the another winery that you might think about is Salketo Winery in Vino Nobile. I don't know if you're familiar with no, them. No, I don't they, know it. They um they. They produce energy uh, using sustainable uh, methods, I think mostly solar, mm-hmm. and uh, they they actually produce enough so that, that they sell it back to the Italian grid. So they're like a carbon negative cool. winery, um, and the, the quality, I think, is, uh, is quite good there. Um, we actually have to take a, uh, a very quick break, um, but we're going to be back with more of Michelle Bichelia from Blue Hill after this. This one's called Write It Down by The Landing. This is In The Drink. was brought to you by visitnapavalley.com. Welcome to the Napa Valley, North America's legendary wine and food capital, where the art of living well is defined, and each season holds a story waiting to be discovered. Life feels slower here, lived at a place where tables are set with care. Fine wine and food are created from the bounty of our own vineyards and gardens, and relationships with friends and family gathered around the table are somehow sweeter. 
When planning a trip to the Napa Valley, we invite you to visit the destination's official visitor website, visitnapavalley.com, or stop by Napa County's official visitor information center, located in downtown Napa, where our friendly and knowledgeable community ambassadors can assist you in creating your own legendary Napa Valley experiences. The Visitor Information Center is located at 600 Main Street, Napa, and is open from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., seven days a week, 360 days a year. Your invitation to experience the Napa Valley beckons. Take a deep breath, lose yourself in our quiet green and golden hills, renew your body and spirit, taste our legendary wines and cuisine, and experience the people who make this valley like no other in the world. For more information, go to visitnapavalley.com. All right, and we're back on In the Drink. Um, I'm your host, Joe Campanelli, here with Michelle Bichelia from Blue Hill. And we're talking about this very special two-and-a-half-week or so pop-up that Blue Hill New York City is doing called Wasted. Wasted. Uh, Wasted. (laughs) Wasted. Also, Waste Ed, as in Waste Education. Oh. Kind of, yeah, double entendre right there. I like that. Um, And uh, so... It's it's happening for for pretty much two and a half weeks from March thirteenth through the thirty first, as we said. Uh, how does someone get involved? If I if I want to, uh, can you buy tickets? You make reservations. You, you can get? make reservations. Uh, well, we we are directing everybody to the we- to the website. It's wastednyncom wastednycom um, and we will be taking reservations up until nine o'clock every night, and then after nine o'clock, we're going to take walk-ins, so give people a chance to kind of you know, get in without getting those reservations right off the bat. And I'm sure industry people are going to want to come on the later side. Mm-hmm. So we're really expecting that to happen. And you said that there's going to be some really exciting chefs. I know from the cocktail standpoint, Dale DeGroff and yeah. Jim Meehan are, yeah. are both going to be making drinks for you. Who yeah. are some of the, the chefs that you're really excited about that are going to be participating? Um, Daniel Holm is coming, Alain Ducasse, Mario Batali, uh, April Bloomfield. It's, yeah, it's a great, great lineup. Of, of people. Wow. Um, yeah, pretty, pretty exciting. So I'm probably going to want to work every night just to, to, to just meet to them all and to work them. with them all. Yeah. Yeah. What an experience. It's awesome. What have you been doing to prepare to get ready for this? <laughs> what haven't we been doing? I mean, it's, if you think about it, we're, we're going to close for a day to transform the entire interior of the restaurant. So you can imagine what that is like for a day. For a day. That's like some crazy reality show. It's a yeah. change a restaurant in, in 24 hours. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it, yeah. I mean, I'm not doing any of that, you know, that, that stuff that there's a team doing, doing that. Um, but it definitely impacts us. We have to plan, you know, you have to maybe like slow down your regular wine delivery, that kind of thing. Figure out what you can do to make space for these, all these new things coming in. Um, you know, make it look nice. There's guest chefs got to clean it up a little bit. We're doing that for sure. Um, but also, you know, getting the staff ready, it's a different type of service. It's, it's, it's a different menu, you know, everything is different. So it's really getting the staff and the team and the whole restaurant ready to go, um, before it it hits next, next Friday. Wow. Uh, I'm I'm excited. I'm going on. Uh, I'm going on the website uh, tonight, and <laughs> try to figure out time to get there. Um, uh, looking over at your your wine list, I, I just huge compliments. I think you have just such an exciting and special wine list. Thank you. Um, I've also noticed on your um, drinks list, you have some pretty cool products that you don't see everywhere, such as Blue Hill Sweet Vermouth and Husk Cherry Limoncello. 
And those kind of, those things kind of stuck out to me. Can you tell me about, uh, are you making those in house and what goes into their preparation? At the moment, it's, uh, it's, it's more the, the current service director, Katie Bell, who, who does that. Um, she has this great sweet vermouth recipe. I actually don't know where she got it from now that I think about it. Um, and it's, it's awesome. And we, we make it, you know, maybe one, once a month or that kind of thing. And, and it's on the list, but it's also something really fun and, and special to pour for, for our friends and for other industry people when they come in as kind of a, a thank you on, on their way out. Um, and the same with the, the husk cherry limoncello. That's a little bit more of a, a punch to it because it's limoncello. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, it's, we, we can switch it up and, and change the, the fruit that we are putting in there. So yeah. husk cherry, they're pretty, they're pretty tart. Yeah, sour little little things. So I it's love good. husk cherry. And yeah. yeah, it's such a end of summer. Um, I always call them Cape gooseberries, but it's someone yeah, told I, me recently that they can also be called husk cherries. People ask all the time if they're if they are gooseberries at the restaurant, but they're I don't I don't think they are. It's such it's an interesting way to interpret uh, limoncello. I really love it. I also noticed that you have a collaborative collaborative beer with one of my favorite brewers. Still water mm-hmm. called Once in a Lifetime Ale. Yeah, it's How, cool. Come about? Yeah, the story's pretty neat. So um, there's a guy named Glenn Roberts from Anson Mills. Have you ever heard of him before? Yes, it's the polenta <laughs> that we use for our polenta lespianatora right. lepicho. Yeah. So Glenn, you know, is, has lots of different wheats, corns, grains, things like that growing. Um, he has one called Red Fife, and what happened with the Red Fife is that it naturally malted in in the field, which is like almost, I don't know, never, never happens. Um, so when that happens, they can't really use it for, for much on, on their end. Um, it has to be this perfect combination of temperature, humidity. It has to start malting, and then the sun has to come out and then dry it up. So it's you know, this like whole malting process that we, you would normally pay someone to do or do it in your own brewery just happened. Um, so he, he called Dan and said, hey, I have this this malted red fife. Can you do anything with it? And Dan said, yeah, we'll, we'll make a beer called Stillwater. Stillwater, we have this malted red fife. Great, let's make a beer. Made a beer, bottled it, caught it once in a lifetime because it happens once in a lifetime. And it's a Saison-style farmhouse ale, and it's delicious. Wow. Yeah. It's so awesome. it's literally like it, it, it can't be repeated next nope, year. No, it can't. Once it's gone, it's gone forever, and then that's it. Oh, my God. It's almost gone. I've got to try this. Yeah. How is it? What does it taste like? It's like Saison style. Saison. So light citrusy. Saison. Yeah. A little bit of like that, like coriander kind of thing you get, but super clean, really fresh tasting beer. It's good. Wow. I imagine it's once it hits 50 degrees in New York, that's going to be like yeah, the, 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 the greatest, the yeah. <laughs> greatest beer ever. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. We use that for wine pairings and throw it into beverage pairings, I guess a lot too. Um, cause it's so versatile. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, Blue Hill at Stone Barns is one of the most unique restaurants uh, in America and probably one of the more memorable experiences I've, I've ever been to. It's a, a farm that you guys have um, just about an hour north of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, is there any collaboration that you have with uh, with the restaurant up there, with the, with the wine program up there? Um, how, how does the relationship between the two restaurants work? For... For food, obviously, yes. I mean, every, everything comes from the same place between between Stone Barns and also Blue Hill Farm, which is the Dan and David's um, Barber's family farm up in, in Great Barrington. For beverage, um, we don't do that much collaboration together. We'll do a little bit so that we can, you know, buy like a large quantity of something and then both sell it at the same time. Um, they have this huge, beautiful 
built-in natural cellar, you know, up, up there. Have you seen it? I've seen it. Uh, I can imagine. Uh, yeah. I mean, it made me jealous. I can only imagine what it does. Yeah, and I have, you know, like a shoe closet, essentially, as, <laughs> as wine storage in, in the city. Um, <clears throat> and so what's what's great is, you know, we'll we'll email back and forth about certain wines that we both want to put on the list together, but then I can also utilize that space if I really want something and say, hey, you know, I want this wine stored up there and then bring it down later on, on the, the food transfer so the wine comes down, you know, with uh, with the pig, basically, which is awesome. Um and, you know, if, if there's two guys that work up there and if they, they need a day off or, you know, they're, they're both uh, MS students. So I go up there and I'll work and fill in, you know, put together mixed cases of wine and just label them and then send them down. And then just send them down. Yeah. You're, like, <laughs> yeah. you're like, happy to, happy to uh, you know, fill in a shift for you. Oh, by the way. Yeah. No, and they're, and they're <laughs> great. They're really great at, at, at letting me do it. And, and, you know, it also helps them move some inventory that maybe it's been there for a while, but they have so many, you know, older wines that, that I don't really have in the city. So I'll, I'll have, you know, two bottles of this, two bottles of that, one bottle of this, and then can have it, you know, whether it's on the list or off the list just to have on, on hand, which is great. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I'm sure that right now with, with Wasted coming up, you're probably holding off yeah. on, on building out the list, but what area of the wine list are you really looking to, to expand and, and focus on? Well, the, the list of Blue Hill, it's, it's organized differently than any list I've ever worked with um, because it's not organized by region. It's organized by style of wine. So, for example, white, you know, there's there's a crisp and bright page. There's an elegant and round page and a medium or rich page and a couple others. So you can kind of play around a lot with that, um, especially with, with the reds um, because you have we have a smooth and earthy, ripe and luscious, big and bold. So you can fill in the gaps of, of these wines. It doesn't have to necessarily be the same wine or even from the same region. So I don't really think about it in a regional sense. I think about it in a stylistic sense and as does far this as happen buying wine. Seasonally, so in the, the winter you fill out the richer and fuller wines. and Totally. Yeah, I mean, it, it happens naturally because that's what people go for automatically. Um, and then now we'll start filling up, you know, the the light fresh whites and build a whole rosé page and that kind of thing. So I can imagine that last year at this point when you were filling out the light fresh whites and the rosés, um, you you probably thought about it maybe a little bit differently than now. What are the wines that you're excited about now to put on those that maybe didn't didn't see the list last year? I think more more wines that kind of fall in that elegant and roundish category like Chablis, Chenin Blanc, those kind of things that are more food versatile. Um, versus just a light, fresh white wine. Because mm. I think those are wines you can you can really recommend to guests if they want to drink, you know, one bottle of white wine to go with everything, which happens a lot. That happened a lot that kind of this time last year, people really wanted to make that transition into white wine, but they don't want to commit to more than a bottle, although they usually do after the fact. But those kinds of things, I think, are what, what I'll add on. Yeah, and you're going through... So is it, it there's a, a wine pairing option as well, mm-hmm. so people can choose. I mean, what would you recommend to to most guests? Do you think that going through the going for a bottle and they could see how the one bottle pairs with various things and really understand the wine through the lens of different foods, or to go through uh, tasting pairing. many different things? I think the pairing it's it's fun. It's always something that's not it's not like we're not using by the glass wines. It's always something different and new. It's not listed because it changes every night. It changes. And sometimes, you know, if there's 
a certain dish that the chef wants to send out to somebody and they're doing a wine pairing and I don't have something open that goes with it, I'll just open up something and then we'll use that and we never have to worry about it because we do so many wine pairings that it's really easy to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the wine pairing is is fun because it's, you know, there's there's stories along with the wines that go with the food and, and it's just, it's there to match the food to go to go with it. So it's great. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's exciting yeah. being able to taste so many different things and uh, taste all around your list and see what you're excited about. Um, so I think that's, you know, when I come in, that's, that's probably what I'm going to, I'm going to yeah. go for next time. Yeah. And it's fun because if some people are hesitant about doing it, it's like, Oh, it's too much wine. You know, I don't know if I drink that much, but mm. we're always open to just work with, with everybody to, you know, if they want to do one taste of white and two reds and play it out like that, like we'll do whatever to make them happy. It's, it's fun in that sense. Yeah. And then just, uh, your thoughts on, uh, wine sustainability um mm-hmm. in in general is this something that you talk about with your guests is this is this sexy table talk language when getting people excited is that part of the story or is it more about the the people um that make the wine and the place it comes from it's definitely part of the story um the the farming practices of of the winemakers are definitely something that that we like to talk about people want to hear it especially at blue hill it's a very specific type of, of clientele. It's for me, one of the, the best clientele I've, I've really had the chance to deal with in New York because they're, they're educated and they're, they're there for an experience, um, with food and wine together. So they want to hear the stories. They want to hear the background. They want to hear about the farming, the sustainability with it's organic, if it's biodynamic, you know, whatever they're, they're doing, it's, it's fun and they, they want to hear it. And the staff is, is always happy to talk about it too. So for the most part, people come in and they, they know what they're, they know that the food is more sustainable. You mm-hmm. don't ever get the, like you present someone an organic wine. They're like, Oh, is it going to be rotten in some way? Right. It doesn't happen. No, it doesn't happen. It's people are there who have drank the Dan Barber Kool-Aid one way or another. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can certainly count uh, me and, uh, and uh, Alyssa and my girlfriend <laughs> in, in that we're, we're, we're huge fans. Um, and it's, it's good to know that uh, that you know the the wine program there is being shepherded by someone who is such a uh, hospitalitarian, someone who's so so nice and so knowledgeable. Thank um, you. And I, I just love the work you're doing, Michelle. Thank you so much. Um, so nice all right, I can't believe it, but that's been like the, it felt like that was the quickest show that we've ever done. It's thirty minutes already. It's thirty minutes already. <laughs> uh, I, I like. I would love to have you back at some point, <laughs> and, and cool. we can we can talk more. Um, but this has been uh, this has been in the drink today with Michelle Bichelia, and uh, I want to thank our producers uh, Joy Morales and Jack Inslee. Uh, Jack's from the Heritage Radio Network, and uh, special thanks to uh, Dan Barber for putting out that great book, The Third Plate. I absolutely love it and recommend it to anyone. Um, hope that we'll see you next week. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 